This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, quick correction here. We mentioned in here um, a favorite story in here. We mentioned vampires instead of saying werewolf. So we meant to say werewolf. So apologies for that slight little mix up. Enjoy the episode. Thanks. Hello and welcome to our live broadcast. Uh, this of uh, It's a Phantom Thing and uh, we are going to be talking about Josh Rubin's movie Scare Me. And as people probably know who listen to this podcast... We are big fans of Josh Rubin. If you haven't listened to it yet, please listen to our interview with him um, and also listen to our Donnie Darko episode because he was also on there with his wonderful fiance as well. So Lauren Six. So please listen to both of those as well. Uh, We are going to be spoiling Scare Me. So if you have not seen Scare Me, uh, what are you doing? Uh, First off and second, (laughs) you do not want to be watching this because we are going to spoil the ending as well. So you'll want to come back later and watch this as, at a later time or just listen to the podcast episode when it drops on Wednesday. And also, I just want to make a quick note. We are not going to have any live streams next Saturday. So no live stream on Saturday. We are just going to be doing regular episodes. And one of those episodes we are recording next weekend is for the television show Freaks and Geeks. And I want to mention that one because that is going to be a very special episode where it's going to be only available to subscribers. So if you want to support the podcast for just $2.99 a month, you can get access to special episodes like that one and also our Christian effing Bale episode, which used to be available to everybody, but it is not available to everybody anymore. So you want to make sure to pay that $2.99 a month, sign up via our anchor page or go to the show notes. You'll get bonus content. You help support one Black Lives Matter organization and one Stop Asian Hate organization. You also, after six months of support, get the opportunity to either be on an episode, including one of our live streams, or determine a topic that we cover within reason. Okay, so I'm going to go around and have my panelists introduce themselves and tell me one thing they're into right now in pop culture. Start with you, Carla. Hi, I'm Carla, and this week I am so into Bates Motel. Like, I just started it a few days ago, and I I had told Erin I'm not going to live tweet anything about it until I know whether or not I like Dylan, because she loves Dylan so much. And I know, based on conversations and on my tweets about Brian Kinney on Queerest Folk that if I didn't like Dylan then there, there would be hell to pay 
That's very true. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been so upset if you didn't like Dylan. I, I, I don't know what I would have done because who couldn't like Dylan? (laughs) Honestly. He's adorable. He's the best. He is. He's, he's more than the best. He's the supreme best. You just want to wrap him in blankets and feed him chicken noodle soup and cookies. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I don't know. And protect him from everything. That sounds like the ideal diet. The ideal (laughs) diet, chicken noodle soup and cookies. You know, fun fact about me, I hate soup. I know. I know. That's like, you don't say you hate soup. So now I'm starting to think that maybe you don't like Dylan if you want to feed him soup, something that you hate. That's true. That's true. I just mean the comfort of it. I like some soups. Like I like French onion soup. Chicken noodles okay when I'm not feeling well. And I like some stews and stuff, but I am not a soup person. I know that's horrible, but it's the truth. (laughs) (laughs) And the other Aaron, what are you into right now? Um, I am actually also watching Bates Motel. This is the best episode ever. (laughs) I think I made it up to like season three. I'm like into season three now. I don't know if I love it as much, but I'm watching. Um, And I'm also being like super boring and just watching Loki on Disney Plus and I finished the Falcon and the Winter Soldier today which I know is super far behind and I should have done that like months ago but I really like that too but yeah Beige Motel oh my god Aaron I got a 30 day free trial subscription to Showtime so do you think I can watch Queer as Folk in the whole 30 days that's going to be the challenge you can you can you can you are the second person today to tell me this you are the second person judy told me this earlier and she said she was going to watch queers folk and i was like (laughs) so happy but then i did preface it by saying (laughs) you do not like brian (laughs) i don't know if i can handle keep it to myself got it (laughs) if you don't like brian please like just don't like tweet about it (laughs) because talk about all the great characters Aaron is on other characters. (laughs) Yeah, and and then if she asks you directly how you feel about Brian Kinney, then just talk about how much you love seeing other characters interact with him. That's it. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and but please, Brian, because you know it's been heartbreak. But let me. So you like Dylan, though, right? Yes, yes. Everybody likes Dylan, right? Who doesn't? I don't know, but I just was worried, you know? I mean, yeah, I didn't know I love Dylan. I didn't think anyone could dislike Brian, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I understand disliking Brian. It's totally oh my God. a reasonable thing. So, so we are going to get into... Oh, I haven't said what I'm into, have I? No, I haven't. Uh, well, I'm really into the fact that both Carla and Aaron are into are watching Bates Motel. I'm I really when Carla tweeted that she loved Dylan, it was like made my whole entire week. <laughs> I was so happy and I bombarded her with Dylan gifs and that'll probably yes, I say gifs. Me and Carla are in the right here. We're the cool ones in the room, everybody. <laughs> like get on our level. Wow. <laughs> It's true. It's true. It's true. So I am bombarded them with GIFs or them, her with GIFs. So I'm very excited about that. And then I'm excited that Aaron might be watching Queer as Folk soon. 
and she's going to fall in love with Brian and it's going to be amazing. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, but I'm also no really. No pressure though, Erin. Yeah. All right. No pressure. Thanks. I shouldn't have said anything. Now I'm so nervous. <laughs> Don't be nervous. I've forgiven Carla. So it took a while. <laughs> it took a while plus also me loving Dylan. That's mm-hmm. what really did it. Her loving Dylan. That okay. that I that's when I forgave her. You've been forgiven. Yes. But I'm also really into the trailer dropped for Halloween Kills. And I have watched it an embarrassing number of times. I'm not going to say how many times because I lost count. And it just looks like a bloody good time. I can't wait to watch it. I know some people have criticized it because they feel it spoiled everything and it showed all the kills and blah, blah, blah. But it's a slasher flick. So come on, there's going to be a ton of other kills for Michael Myers. And it just looks like a lot of fun and I can't wait to watch it. Okay, so let's get into Scare Me. So what I want to first start out with is I want to know, since if you don't know what this is about, well, you shouldn't be watching because we're spoiling it. So, (laughs) but, you know, you've got two writers, Fanny and Freddie, and they are in a cabin in the woods. The power's gone out. They've decided to tell each other some scary stories. So before we get into the characters and a couple of other things, I want to know your overall thoughts and your favorite story from the film, Carla. Yay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You don't understand. Like, okay. Of all of my copious amounts of notes, just all of this, it's, you find it. (laughs) All of this is about the stories. Well, Aaron, I think we can go home. I'm so (laughs) never prepared for this. Oh God. You guys can take a break. I'll I'll do the podcast all by myself. It's fine. Welcome to It's a Fandom Thing podcast, <laughs> headed up by Carla and only Carla tonight. <laughs> Overall, I, I love, I just, I really love the movie. I love the story and the stories within the story. I, um, like you did, Aaron, and actually, actually at your recommendation, I ended up buying the the screenplay because it's it's just, it's such a good movie. And I really wanted to see how it, you know, how it comes to life on the page, not just on my screen, which is, you know, both ways are good. I love the commentary on uh, white male fragility and on how men are so scared of women and how, or not even women, they're scared of anybody who's not a man. The competition between men tends to be more about one-upping one another but the competition when it's against somebody who's not a man tends to be about stomping down because you can't they can't accept that that these inferior people could be on their level and it it was a really inspired way of of telling the story and in the stories themselves you get such a, a good array of genre uh, of horror genres within that and it was just really clever. And I really appreciated how it's not just a, a scary movie going on with, you know, the the predict- predictable way that, that you would see a horror movie unfold. The horror, it's also happening using your imagination because they're telling these stories. And yes, there are, there are special effects and there are, you know, sounds and and things like that. But 
a lot of it comes from just the way that they're telling it. And it engages your imagination along with what you're seeing on the screen. So overall, it's just really clever. I really love the way that it that it was done. My favorite story, that's hard because I like I kind of want to lean with to uh killer and the woman who got under his skin. I, I kind of just gave all of these titles that I liked. But if you watch the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's the one with, with, with no uh, Yeah, it's just. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I really, really liked the, uh, what's it called? The grandpa story. Because you have this five-year-old girl who just decides that, that grandpa must go. And so she tries to poison him, ends up killing his dog, and he becomes very despondent that his dog is dead, so he ends up dying anyway, but not before. He tells her, I will come back and haunt you. Pretty much. I'm not doing the accent right, because it's supposed to be like a like a Eastern European accent, and just, you know, the the school that I went to for accents didn't cover that. That's maybe I'm going to her. The Christian effing Bale school that you went to? No, it's a Dick Van Dyke school for. for oh, that's acting. right. That's yes. right. And, and we're mostly covering Western Europe, so like you know, we haven't quite hit the Eastern <laughs> Bloc just yet. But, but anyway, so it it was really kind of hair raising, and you just get so caught up in the way that Fanny is telling the story that even though you're not seeing it play out with an actual grandpa, an actual child, and a dog. You're, you're watching it in your brain and it's like terrifying. It's almost more terrifying than seeing it on the screen because it's like you're doing this to yourself. Aaron, so what are your overall thoughts and what's your favorite story? God, I do. I really, really like this movie. Obviously I'm here. I like it because it's yes, the fragile white dude syndrome, and then also like Fanny is not like really a super great person either. So it's not really putting women up on like a really high pedestal, but it's still getting that point across that like chill out, dude. But I really like it. I'm, I, I watched it again last night for the third time. I think um, there's also, um, I don't know what you would call it, like a companion podcast. Have you guys listen to that it's really good oh my god carla you gotta listen to it make, uh, are you talking about the one where they about making it yeah it's called yes. make cool shit yeah it's really it's really really interesting it's like follows from the very beginning you know through trying to get funding and production to you know selling it and it like ends at like the sundance premiere um it's i love that kind of behind the scenes kind of stuff so that's kind of maybe like even bigger josh rubin fan i think too because it's just i don't know it's amazing I'm very jealous i guess but yeah it's a really good podcast you should listen to it <laughs> in another life i think my favorite um story oh god i don't like the grandpa story at all it is like opposite is like so uncomfortable to watch and like the accent i don't like and when she's got like the stuff on her face they like can barely watch it it's like oh my god so gross yeah that part is really i can't, I can't. <laughs> i'm like oh god no yeah so that's my least favorite so way to go carla um 
I think honestly my favorite one I think is the vampire story just because he's like trying so hard and it's it's funny I guess is that it's got the comedy aspect of just like he, he's just he's trying real hard um and the trolls kind of kind of funny too <laughs> Devin the troll <laughs> um, yeah no I think they're all everything is really good I just love the way it's filmed and it's just the story inside of a story and I don't know I love it I'm not a great film critic I'm sorry <laughs> No, I was not no. bad at this. No, you're oh. not bad at this at all. No, yeah. it was that no, was I think great. It's great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you said great things. My favorite is the troll story. That and Big Talent Show Live are my two favorites. Big Talent Show Live because obviously there's a little bit of music there, so obviously that's going to be a little bit of a favorite. I, I called um, it "Singer Possessed by the Devil on American Idol." Oh my god, the song is amazing, <laughs> yeah. and you can I, get I think that this is like. Yeah, but I, I think that this is like when you translate something into Spanish and then translate it back using Google Translate. <laughs> it's what I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, but you can get that song on um, on Spotify and you can also get it on iTunes. So just to let everybody know. I'm gonna throw that into my one. playlist so it just <laughs> pops up randomly. <laughs> But I love the troll story. What I really love about the troll story <laughs> is that they work in an edible arrangements <laughs> place. I mean, that is just like, I mean, it's, it's just a magical detail. <laughs> it's like, arrangements, the they're things. edible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like of all the places to have it set. It's just something you would never really, I don't think, normally think of. That's why it's so great and wonderful. Um, and overall, I, of course, love this movie. I watched it when it was first available on Shutter. Last year, I'm trying to remember the exact time. I think that was before Halloween, but I can't really quite remember. Um, and it was just so funny and um, so well written. I mean, honestly, the script is really well written too. If you, I always say, if you want to be a screenwriter, if you want to be a writer, you need to read a lot of scripts. And this is one of the ones I recommend reading. It's just really well written. The dialogue is great. Um, there's a lot said without saying it. It's not too on the nose. It doesn't hit you over the head with the themes. The characters are really well fleshed out. It's very rare to have a movie where you have a male and a female and you don't have any like sex scene. You have no like kissing. You have nothing like that. And I really appreciated that because it's not about that. It's about their dynamic and it's about Fred's fragile ego and being confronted by a woman who is a lot more successful than him and she knows she is and someone who's a lot more powerful than him and his jealousy and his inferiority complex and so it's not about anything sexual and that was such a nice change of pace because Usually in a movie like this, you probably would have had a scene that was sexually charged or it would have been something kind of icky and gross or he might have tried to attack her sexually. And I really appreciate that that never happened in this movie. Um, and I know that was very intentional. So I just really applaud uh, Josh for that again, because that was really, really 
good thinking, good writing, good decision making there. Um, so yeah, I, I love this movie. I own the the Blu-ray. I have yet to listen to the director's commentary. I will at some point. I just, you know, my life. Uh, I should have listened to that before this because I love director's commentaries. And I do agree that podcast is great that Aaron mentioned them make cool shit. But anyway, so I want to get into the characters now and dissect the characters a little bit and talk about them and what you like about them, don't like about them. So let's get into Fred, uh, played by Josh Rubin. So what are your thoughts on Fred, Carla? I have so many. God, I just say that for everything, but it's so true. Okay, so Fred is a like a United Nations symposium with just like flags everywhere and they're all red. <laughs> It's just all representing the the the, the nation of creepy Dudistan. Creepy Dudistan. <laughs> he well, first of all, you know, he's okay. L- listen, I completely understand not being super nice to Bettina because she was obnoxious. You know, she she's the driver who picks him up, takes him to, to the cabin. The whole time she's talking, he's like clearly trying to sleep. He's she's like, oh, you can go to sleep. By the way, blah 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 blah. Keeps talking. She finds out that he's a horror writer. She's like, me too. And then starts telling him her plot of, and it's like, oh my god, just chill. I just want to go to my cabin and like just relax, okay? So I really blame Bettina for all this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really because Fred has has just a lot going on that isn't very good. But you know, like it starts with w- when he doesn't tip her. Like, okay, so I don't have any cash, but then later on, you can cough up some some dough for for the pizza. Mm, that's just kind of rude. Like again, Bettina's not the greatest. You know, like maybe I wouldn't give her a rating in you know Mountain Uber. But Mountain Uber. Mountain Uber. <laughs> it's different from actual Uber. This is its own subsidiary that only takes people from bus stations and airports to their cabins in the mountains, naturally. You know, if it's a cabin at the beach, you're out of luck. You have to get a regular Uber. Um, but yeah, so he doesn't tip her, which is just like, dude, the hell. But then, you know, you see the scene when he's by himself and he just casually caresses the knives. And next thing you know, he has a knife in his hand and he's like stabbing in the air. And you're like, dude, why? <laughs> I, I, like, I get that you're a horror writer, but what, what, you, what, what, is, what is this? What is this? What are you doing? His favorite movie is Jaws. And I feel like that, that just has so much. <laughs> you know, like when it, it's, it's a white dude and he mentions Jaws, you automatically think he probably also listens to Sublime. And none of those are are things. I I don't care. I'm sorry that you're so wrong. (laughs) I'm sorry that you're so wrong, but they suck. (laughs) Uh, But then, you know, his ex is is filing a protection notice and he calls his mom a B and the way that he reacts to everything that, that Fanny is saying, it's just really like from the jump, he was starting to act like a mediocre white guy, which he is. Fanny, Fanny's very confident, you know, she she's just she knows who she is and that's and that's all that there is to it. But he takes it personally. To him, it's not just that she's successful, it's that she's being successful at him. Everything in his interactions with her and with Carlo later down the line are tainted by this idea that he has that he is 
naturally going to be successful and that these two like why why is it so easy for them so everything with him has to do with with him feeling like the world is out of balance because he is not the most talented person in the room if i have to say something nice about him i guess he's like <laughs> mostly a good host you know he like he let you take a cooking dump in your bathroom that's, that's a good thing, I guess. Yeah, that that's a neighborly thing. Um, he lets you drink all his beer. He doesn't mind if you, you know, snort some coke. He'll even do yeah, it with I you mean, so you don't feel lonely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, he he's also apparently pretty athletic because he does this one that when he's I think when he's being the troll and he's kind of walking. Mm-hmm. Like all hunched out. I'm like, my knees hurt just looking at him. So kudos to you, Fred, for <laughs> having working knees and um being able to do that. Yeah, that's a, that's oh my that's god. All, that's all positive you can say. Yeah. Yeah. Got working knees. Way to working go, Fred. Knees, yes. And and <laughs> and you're a good host. And you're a good host. Yes. That that that's 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 it. That's actually a lot. I mean, being a good host. <laughs> Um, that's actually like baseline if you're letting somebody, you know, like you let the, letting them use their, their your bathroom and sharing drinks. That's kind of like the the bare minimum. So he's like bare minimum good host, but also give it to him because I'm generous that way. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I think Carla loves Fred. That's her favorite character for sure. So. Oh my god, like I go to sleep every night just thinking, oh, Fred, why can't you be my boyfriend? Aaron, do you like Fred? <laughs> oh my god, why are you so mean to Fred? I mean, in his defense, this random person just showed up at his house and barged in and was like, buy me pizza. I'm rich and famous, but buy me pizza because you're a poor white dude. <laughs> in his defense. I mean, like, buying somebody pizza is the price you pay for being a med- mediocre white dude. Right. Like, <laughs> contribute something to society, man. The very least you can do is buy someone some pizza. You're but... such a coward. Coward. And later on down the line, that the, the etubute will come in very handy. Oh, poor Fred. I, don't, I feel bad for him. You guys are so mean. Uh, it's just me so far. Don't pin this on Aaron. Like, just uh, okay, okay. He might have nice things to say. I don't know. But... I mean, oh, poor Fred. He d- He's had a rough life, it sounds like. Like, he <laughs> he wants to be great, like, but he's just... order sticking out on you is right. really rough, man. It just Seriously, you know, I mean, God, who knows what he did? Because if that's what he said he did, then he did something way worse, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much way worse. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's probably hard to live a life whenever you think you are the most amazing person and, like, you're not. That's got to be hard to deal with. That, like, how come no one else sees how awesome I am? Um, I don't know. So I do it probably. All the time and I don't get creepy about it. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, he could probably use some therapy or something. Poor guy. Um, that might that might help. Yeah, I mean, he's not great. He's just a mediocre white dude. Um, and. I think it's 
you know, gosh, how do I even put it? I don't know. I, I just, that's it. He's, he thinks he's great and he wants to be great, but he just can't. Um, and he probably should have moved on from writing a long time ago. Um, he he's you know very resentful of Fanny. He was like you know I'm 39 and I'm doing this still, and you're living my dream. Um, that was like a really interesting way to put it. That you know, gosh. And he calls her like this girl. Yeah, so, yeah, some girl. Like, yeah, that's rude. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when people call me a girl. Um, Condescending. Yeah, yeah, very. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of the tone that he had to her. Um, but she kind of had that to him, too. So they were kind of going back and forth a little bit there. I I did find it very um, funny whenever she was just like, pay for the pizza, dude. <laughs> what else to say about Fred? I don't know. I feel kind of bad for him. Just that he's so like unself aware. I don't I don't dislike him, I guess, as much as Carla got. <laughs> And I forgot I to mention something. And I forgot to mention something, which is that he wants to be a writer and he's like all upset that Fanny's a great writer, but he doesn't do any writerly research. You know, he doesn't read stuff. He just, he's like, well, I, c- I can write, you know, horror stuff because I've watched horror movies. It's like, well, it's, there's more to it than that. It's, it's, it's a craft. It's not just like, I'm going to sit down and be amazing about it. Like, that's the kind of attitude that somebody has when they're reading fanfic and they're like, well, I can write better stuff than this crap. <laughs> and, and you know what? Like, go ahead and try. Let's see how many kudos you get. But when you're confronting somebody and you're having that attitude of all I need to do is sit down with, what's it called? With Google Docs <laughs> and come up with something brilliant. And that's all that it, all takes. it takes. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, well, that's what he went there to do, right? That was probably his big plan was I'm just going to write this amazing thing. And instead, I'm going to stalk Fanny until the power goes out and I lose my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> did is, not plan that out. Right. Which is kind of pathetic. You always put the laptop in all the time. So if you lose power, you have like two more hours to watch movies or stalk someone on the Internet. Uh, or stocks. <laughs> yeah, gosh, think about it. Uh, well, he has a restraining order. You would think he would know how stocking works. Right? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Not even kind of mediocre at stocking, too, if we're going <laughs> to talk about that. He can't even do that right. <laughs> and he can't even try to, you know, well, we'll, we'll get to the ending in a second here. <laughs> <laughs> kind of mediocre. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Fred is, I've met a ton of Freds in my life. I've met a ton of Freds who, you know, they don't want to do the work to become this great, amazing person. They just think it should just happen. They should just say, I want to do this and it'll just plop right in their laps. And so he fits that. You know, I think it's funny when you watch throughout this movie, when you first see him in the back of the mountain Uber, (laughs) I just like that. (laughs) And he says, you know, he's a writer and he says, well, 
actually I'm also an actor and I'm this, this, and he hypes himself up so much. And then as the movie goes along, he keeps saying, no, I'm not anything. I'm nothing. And it's almost like he's wants people to take pity on him by that time, or he's feeling so sorry for himself. You know, it's just like really pathetic. It's kind of sad and pathetic and not sad in the, I feel bad for him. Like Aaron is in the beginning. I don't think I just like him quite as much as Carla, but <laughs> uh, but he, it is just kind of he's just kind of this sad guy who had this dream for his life, and then he got caught up in doing something else and doing advertising, and he didn't want to do that, and he's miserable in that. So he thinks all he needs to do is go to a cabin write a story and everything will be okay. And you see that he kind of wants to, I don't know, he likes to puff out his chest, but at the same time, he likes to try to pretend like he's this sensitive and warm and kind guy who's very open. Like the whole scene where he first meets Fanny when the, when he's running and she's running and she like hurt her knee or something. And and he's talking to her and then they're walking and he's kind of like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a horror writer. And, and the way he has that conversation is this, the way that conversation is conducted is very like friendly and like warm and inviting and welcoming. Whereas there's also that jealousy underneath it because you see right away after they are no longer walking anymore and he's at his cabin and he's looking her up and he finds this one negative review about her and he like clings to that. And he's like, see, you're not that big a deal. See, you're not that great or wonderful. And I don't think it's just white men that do this. I want to say, <laughs> I think this is a very human thing to do where if you want to be very successful and you feel like you're not being successful and you're not getting the attention you think you deserve or you want to have at that moment, and then you meet someone that is really successful, there is that I think it's a human thing to want to sort of seek out and see that they're not as great and wonderful as everybody claims that they are. So I think that's human nature. But with Fred, he just he just ramps it up and then having to spend the night with her. And then when Carlo comes along and it's like Carlo just adores Fanny, loves her. So that just plays into it more. That just makes him feel like, well, I'm nothing. You know, like when Carlo leaves and he says, you know, and, and you meet this great, wonderful writer and you're, you're telling these stories and you meet a Fred, <laughs> a Fred. It's just like you're just a Fred. And the look on his face is like, see, I'm just nothing. I'm just crap. I'm nothing. <laughs> One of the funniest parts. <laughs> it's so funny because it's just the reaction is just priceless because he's just hyping Fanny up and then, and a Fred, and a Fred. <laughs> Yeah. And it's so obvious that she knows how to push his buttons and she knows it too. I mean, she's playing into that, but it is just such a good portrait of a lot of men out there, especially in the face of any woman who has any kind of power and in any situation where they can't be the most important person in the room. Uh, when he's trying to scare her, when he's, I mean, the fact that he can't even light the fire is even emasculating to him. Uh, you know, everything that he does, she's better at it. And, you know, you see his little excitement when she does react to something like when he's telling the werewolf story and she's like, you know, that was scary. And he pauses and it breaks character and is like, see, I can be scary. 
And it's like, oh, I finally got a little bit of kudos from this person that everybody loves. So it's like he's fighting against this thing where he doesn't can't stand her because she's got everything he wants. But he also wants her to like her and admire him or like him, excuse me, and admire him and think that he's actually talented and special and he can write. So it's just he's kind of battling it out. You even hear that in the end when he's talking about how this was the first time he'd had fun in a long time. Yet at the same time, the whole time she's writing all this stuff about him <laughs> and basically calling out how fragile he is and what a he's little he's like a little boy, really. He's like a little boy. And yeah, if you have a restraining order out against you, I highly doubt it's for just saying some words. I mean, <laughs> there's something else there. And you can see it in little movements in the beginning when there's the whole scene when he's alone in the cabin and he's like punching the couch and he stops and then he goes back, he punches it some more and you can see there's that frustration and that anger in there. And there's also the frustration that he can't write. I mean, he has all those moments where he's trying to write and he's like picking his nose and then he's doing all the voices. And so I'm sure he's frustrated about that. He hates his job, hates his life. And he's just so miserable and he wants everybody to feel sorry for him instead of trying to find a way to better his life. So, yeah, it's typical, typical white, white male, you know, they don't have attention on themselves. They can do things typical like Fred's typical Fred's, <laughs> you know, a side note here. I had a snake once, a ball, a ball python and my ball python's name was Fred. <laughs> Was he fragile so, also? He was fragile. He <laughs> did you hurt his feelings a lot? <laughs> I think I did. He actually got attacked by his food. Oh, a rat attacked him so seriously and bit out a chunk of his back and his spine. And I had to give him shots. Oh my God, that's so sad. Had to do, yeah, it was actually, it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen because it was like nature gone awry. This is why I will never have a wild animal again. I don't think people should have wild animals. But I guess that happens, and people don't ever tell you that, that if your snake is like, if you don't know they're about to molt or, you know, about to shed their skin, and you're not aware they're about to do that, they won't try and eat. And so they'll, like, sometimes attack, like the food will sometimes attack because, you know, I oh mean, God. you know, I kind of can see That's it. That's crazy. I uh, that's terrifying. I worked at a pet store in college and I will never have anything that you have to feed live animals to. Like I used to have to feed the snakes, the little baby mouses. Mm -hmm. I'd have to pull out. They're like, I need 10 feeder mouses and you have to pull out 10 of these cute little mice and give it to them in a bag. And I'm like, Oh my God. That didn't bother me. I liked watching my snake eat. <laughs> I, do it. I don't mind snakes weird. so much, but it's just the, the feeding part is really gross to me. I loved it. I used to love watching it because, you know, you'd watch him just slowly go towards it and you see like the tongue coming out because unlike what Anaconda tells you, snakes <laughs> can't see very well, you know, and they use their tongue to smell and they, their sense of smell is really strong. And so he would just, you know, his tongue would just dart out and then he'd go slowly and you'd see and then he'd strike and then wrap around and then, you know, they're just oh, <laughs> I loved it. I loved watching it. You know, um, but yeah. <laughs> Poor Fred, both Freds. All the Freds. Yeah. Well, I feel I feel worse for Fred the snake than I do for Fred the human. <laughs> yeah, same. And I want to comment on the sublime 
trashing <laughs> and then the Jaws comment. Okay, Sublime. I love Sublime. I didn't I'm know like, anybody didn't. That's male thing. <laughs> Until today, I didn't know anybody who did. So there we go. That is super weird, bro. Well, now you know a couple. <laughs> and then the Jaws thing. I have admitted before that I don't like the movie Jaws, which I know in the horror world is like the biggest no-no you can ever say. But I find it incredibly boring. I do root for Jaws, though. I want him to kill all the humans because it's not, it's not his fault. <laughs> they're in his they're in his territory. Hey, you know, what's he going to do? I don't know. I don't care if they get a bigger boat. I think they should. <laughs> yeah, give him more people to eat. Yeah, while they're listening to Sublime. <laughs> Jaws with a Sublime soundtrack. There we go. <laughs> oh, which reminds me. My mom has a beef to pick with you, Carla. Oh. <laughs> it's about your saxophone hate. <laughs> She's like. How can she hate the saxophone? I remember in San Francisco and listening to. <laughs> no, thank you. But she loves you. But she was like, I have a bone to pick with Carla. And I'm like, hey, you know what? <laughs> I feel like th this is um, your mom's and my first fight. And we're getting through it. So I think it'll only make our virtual relationship stronger. And I'm all for that. We're getting through it. <laughs> we're going to survive <laughs> this fight. <laughs> okay okay so let's go back to the characters let's talk about fanny so what are your thoughts on fanny carla fanny one of the things that i like about fanny is that she's not written to be just a wonderful human being in contrast to to fred like there's no like great person with these protagonists and they're both kind of scummy people but I think Fanny and her interactions with Fred, she's in the right more often than not than not because this guy, you know, it's like she she's she's running, she's in a vulnerable state because her knee isn't cooperating. She's they're by themselves in the middle of nowhere. She has to get back to her to her cabin. And this guy's like pretty intent on accompanying her total rando you know like i too would be a little defensive and a little bit like you know like back off bro but all of the digs that she makes at him they're, they're pretty justified like they're harsher i i think than maybe i would have done face to face with this guy especially considering that she did barge in there and demand to be entertained but Everything that he was saying to her was just very condescending and, and very um, confrontational in, in its own way. So I think she was just mostly just holding her own. And because she wasn't backing down. Like, that, that's one of the things that I really admired about her is that she's not going to be cowed by some dude who likes generic things and thinks he can write the next masterpiece just because he's going to try it and therefore he's going to succeed. I also, you know, the, the way that she, she manages to get the fire going right away. She is effortless, effortlessly as, as far as Fred is concerned, writing out this, this amazing novel that everybody loves. And, you know, who knows about the effortless thing? 
we don't really get any insight into her process. We just know that she works hard. You know, she doesn't coast. She doesn't just show up at a cabin with her laptop and say, you know, let there be story. She she takes notes. She reads other writer stuff. She really she and she has a gift, but having a gift doesn't mean that things come easy to you anyway. And her her poking holes in Fred's stories, I don't think it's malicious, although there is a little bit of, of, oh, you think you're so amazing? Well, let me tell you why this story doesn't work. But in the end, it's in service of Fred's stories being better. Um, because he could take any of this stuff that they're just spitballing around and, and go and type it up and be successful, and she's not going to care one way or the other. But he takes offense at everything everything you know like even uh she, she tries to make suggestions and he bats them away or he incorporates them but kind of kind of rolls with it as like oh yeah kind of like they were his idea and she just happened to like, that that's the the sense that i got when they were interacting whereas whenever he would throw out an idea and she would go with it he would glow like, you know, some kid who just got a pat on the head from his favorite teacher. So it's it's a very interesting dynamic there. And like I said, the thing that I like best about Fanny is that she's not a perfect woman. This isn't like a 1930s movie where she's like, you know, just this glowing angel who happens to be dealing with this very bad man. Um if you take out a lot of of elements, well, not uh, if you take out some of the elements of you know where, where they're trying, where where um, Josh Rubin is trying to highlight his fragility, it can kind of come across as a kind of meet cute or as a you know the beginnings of maybe like a wonderful love story. Because think about it, you know, like they run into each other at the lake while she's while they're both jogging. That. And, you know, in a rom-com could be a me cute. Like, a lot of these yeah. things have have that undercurrent that if this were a different movie, it would be a rom-com. They're telling each other stories. They're hyping each other up. Well, she's hyping him up to try to get him to, you know, trying to coax a good story out of him. Um, there is a moment in one of those stories where it looks like they're going to kiss right before Carlo comes in. Um, but it was like, she... <laughs> She's doing it to go along with the role. He's, you're not sure about his, uh, where his mind is in that because he's been kind of making moon eyes at her this whole time. But, but yeah, it's it's a very clever way to make this dynamic really pop, where you're taking something that that could be like I would really love to see somebody cut a trailer of this as a rom com just for funsies. I wonder if someone has. I was just thinking that. I'm like, I wonder. I'm going to look that up here. And if they yeah, haven't, please somebody please cut this yes. as a rom-com. <laughs> cut the trailer. Yeah, and then they have pizza. And, like, they're they're just laughing and, you know, just being fun together. And we'll leave out all of those red flags. Yeah. Or keep them in because rom-coms are just replete with red flags. And they're seen as cute little gestures. 
Yes, they are. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. Yeah, I just looked and I didn't see anything pop up right away. So if you're out there and a, you're a YouTube maker and you want to make us a version of the trailer as a rom-com, please do it. Because <laughs> I, I think would love could, it so much. I think you could do that very easily. <laughs> yeah. And then Aaron. He would be great as a rom-com because, like, it's not stocking in a rom-com. It's just sweet, right? Exactly. Yep. <laughs> He's just very attentive. Right. <laughs> just loves her so much. <laughs> um, Fanny. Okay. I don't. I don't know. She's. I like that she's not. Um, this great perfect person. Um, she's pretty arrogant. You know, she's great, and she knows she's great, and she wants everyone to treat her as if she's the greatest person in the room. I think, um, I think a lot of that, I mean, she's so, sometimes kind of rude to Fred. And I think a lot of that is probably because she's been treated really poorly by mediocre men in the past, as I'm sure we all have. Um, it's, you know, eventually you get real defensive about it. Um, probably, especially in like their industry, it's really, easy for the fragile white dudes to treat her not as nice. Like she's not on their level. It doesn't matter how good she is. Um, and so she probably sees him and is like, Oh, great. Another one of these guys, you know, got to, you know, come out strong um, from the beginning. I agree that I like that, um, you know, the way that they meet and it could have totally gone the other way and it didn't. That's one of the things I really like about the movie um, is that like, you, you don't need, romance or even romantic tension in every movie sometimes you know it's totally unnecessary a lot of times like she's in the right but she's still kind of like a jerk um to him about it and i kind of like that sometimes <laughs> he deserves it a lot of the time she kind of like she's like he said he's like living she's living the life that he he dreams of and she's you know doing everything better than him and that just gets under his skin so so badly um and i kind of like that like getting under mediocre white dude's skin is great right um i that's I my think, goal this podcast right <laughs> yes oh god i mean yeah i i totally feel for her i used to work in an industry where almost everybody was a white guy 20 to 30 years older than me and i I know that exact feeling of just like they think you're a stupid girl. Like it doesn't doesn't matter what you do, how good you are. Um, so that's got to be hard. The fact that she's taking notes on him is pretty great. I mean, why would you leave your notebook lying around if you're writing terrible things? Because did she want him to find it um, to just to hurt him? Like a little, just twist the knife a little bit more. Um, and stealing ideas kind of, he seems really upset by that, but like he's was getting ready to do that. He started looking up Bettina's idea, which was a terrible yep. idea, but he was like, it's okay for him to do it, but he's going to try and call her out on, on doing that. And, um, <laughs> Carlo, it's like, she can have it. Scaby babies. God. <laughs> It's so ridiculous. Oh God, I love it. It's so great. Oh, and I still really love the fact that she makes him pay for the pizza. That's like <laughs> that. That is like a typical entitled girl thing, right? Is like the dude has to pay for me all the time, and she's like, "Pay the man." Yep. Um, and just like total total confidence in herself, and I really like that about her. 
Yeah, I, I I agree with going back to what Carla said about, you know, it's so nice that she wasn't like this perfect woman that was like really nice and sweet. And, um, you know, she was someone that wouldn't be real, that she had a lot of dimension to her. And she it she's just a great, greatly written. She's really well written, excuse me, um, character, female character. And I love how strong she is without having to put on like I think sometimes when women are written as strong they're written as either being bitches um or being really cold um or being like literally strong where they don't they don't have any femininity to them and and she's not like that she's just strong in who she is she believes in who she is she is happy with her life she is confident enough in herself and her talent, but she's also not, I mean, you could argue, I guess, that in some way she's, you know, the way Fred sees it is that she's rubbing her talent in his face, but I don't really see it that way. I see it more that she's just confident in herself. And the fact that she doesn't ever really want to tell her the Venus story, I think really tells you that she's kind of sick of that story she's just kind of like okay well i have other stories to tell yes i'm proud of that one but we don't have to talk about that one it doesn't have to be all about that she isn't the one that introduces herself as a famous writer to carlo that's fred so once again it's not this thing of like i am just going to tell you how amazing i am she even when she introduces herself to fred she doesn't start off and say i'm fanny a successful horror writer he's the one who gets that out of her so she's never like walking around, like beating her chest going, I am the best. That's more the way Fred sees her. But the way I see her is she's just this confident woman who works in an industry that does not value confident women, does not want women to succeed, um, that still lives in this time where, and granted, Me Too is kind is trying to change that, but it doesn't mean it's gotten necessarily great and wonderful now. But in this industry where a woman still can be harassed or treated like crap, and it's just part of the industry, it's just what you have to deal with. It's just what you have to put up with, you know, is to deal with this kind of crap. And she's used to that. She even talks about that. She's used to having to deal with that stuff. So it's like Fred really to her is represents like this very tame version of what she's been dealing with probably her whole artistic career. I mean, she's been dealing probably with versions of Fred that are like a hundred thousand times worse than him. And so she's just kind of, I don't want to say used to it, but she's just kind of at the point where she's like, this is all BS. This is all you're just like, this is not who you really are. You're just trying to impress me. You're just this scared, fragile little boy um, who can't handle the fact that I'm a little bit more successful than you or a lot more successful than you, I should say. Um, but I just like the fact that she isn't there. Like she's not painted as this great 100% perfect person, but she's also not painted as a villain. So she's not painted as like this bad person who pushes his buttons. She's not painted as someone who necessarily has a huge ego. 
I love the way she is with Carlo. And when you see that counteracting the way she is with Fred, it's like she sees something in Carlo that's so different than what she sees in Fred. And it's so awesome to watch because then you really see that this isn't like, you know, she's not a man hater or anything like that. She just doesn't put up with fragile white dudes. And right. yeah, Fred. that's what's so great just, about watching Fred. the thing. Fred's with, with, just you know, like, <laughs> Fred's. <laughs> with all the Fred's. All um, the Fred's out there. As far as her, you know, being rude or arrogant or preemptively defensive, I don't I don't see that because I I, I think anything that she says is as a response to things that Fred says and the way that he behaves. Mm-hmm. You know, she's perfectly happy to hang out and tell horror stories because that's her jam. Um, and he just happens to be the one guy who's directly across from her cabin. And they have at least something in common that she knows. And she's already interacted with him. So maybe she feels like, okay, I'm just going to go and hang out with this guy. And then he acts the way that he does. And she's like, you know what? It's fine. I know how to deal with people like that. Um, but it, it's this thing where when women are good at handling themselves in situations where they're being treated as less than you know they're seen as rude and arrogant and it's if this were a movie about two dudes and instead of it being fanny it had been you know frankie <laughs> i i feel like if, if he had acted exactly the same way we wouldn't be saying that he's rude or arrogant we would just be saying that well you know fred was being a total douchebag and Frankie, Frankie was just rightfully putting him in his, in his place, um, and it's just the, the way that that we're socialized as, as women to um, to be deferential and to not tout our successes, to not um, to just kind of be like, okay, well, that's fine, you know, and just kind of back off and and let the guy say what he wants, and then just not engage with that, which that's just you know out there and that's what we're used to seeing and being told but that's what i like about about fanny is that she doesn't do those things she's she's this tiny little woman you know in front of this dude who is treating her with condescension just because she's a successful writer and as far as he's concerned she's successful because women get their way like oh you know you didn't even have to try what does he know He's never asked about her process. He's he's never, you know, talked, like really talked shop with her. He's just made these assumptions. Um, And I think she has every right to be, to lob things back at him. Because Mm -hmm. there, there's, I don't see an arrogance there. I just see her, like, like Aaron was, was like, okay, like Aaron, the host was saying, (laughs) (laughs) and like, wait, right to Aaron today. We were both saying two it. for one. Yes. Like when we were both saying that Sublime is good and Carla was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, two errands don't make a right. But, <laughs> oh but when, so when Aaron, the host, was was saying that <laughs> that bringing up that you know she didn't bring up her successful career. If anything, she was trying to avoid the topic. You know, he's asking her, well, you know, well what have you written? And she's like, you know, and he's like pulling it out of her later on. He's begging her to do Venus as one of Mm -hmm. her stories. And she's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. 
And she doesn't want to share that with him because, frankly, he doesn't deserve it. When Carlo shows up, she does reluctantly agree to do it. But that's because she's playing now with somebody who is playing with her, not at her. Yeah. Right. Well, he wanted her to prove to me that your book is good. And Carlo wanted to see it because he genuinely loves it. Yeah. 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 And you can tell he genuinely loves it when he's doing it. And he's like, and then this happened, and then this happened. And that's where I, I can't remember his exact words, but that's where I just totally like, I don't know, he got really scared or something at one point. (laughs) Yeah. Very, very good points. Yeah. Um, Yeah. She's just, I just want to say again, uh, applaud the writing again, just because I think all of the characters are well written, no matter how much time, screen time they have. I mean, there's really only four characters. But they're all well written. So, and I think that's kind of hard to do sometimes. And so I just once again appreciate that. So let's talk about Carlo. We've already mentioned Carlo. Uh, Carlo is the pizza delivery guy. I'm going to say again, <laughs> I've said this before and I've talked about this movie. I lived in the mountains, okay? There was no way I could have had a pizza delivered. <laughs> in a snowstorm, no, no less. No how, how did they have power to make pizza i don't understand <laughs> unless they were far far away and they, <laughs> i mean he did say he was two hours late to delivering that one pizza but that's because he had been there so that makes sense right but yeah yeah i just i i just i love this movie but i just always have to say that because i'm always like i wish i could have ordered pizza when i lived in the mountains man we didn't even have a stoplight okay <laughs> Well, I feel like if Mountain Uber can get there, then the pizza can also get there. But if you go more into the deluxe cabins further up the mountain, maybe you're out of luck then. Get pizza. Yeah. No Mountain Uber, no pizza. It's just you in the wilderness. Yes. But I'm very glad that we have the pizza delivery guy because I love Carlo. So Carlo comes in right when they're finishing up the troll story, Devin, the troll story. And right when there's that little tiny moment that they might kiss, but it's really not like a big thing that's ever brought up again, which I appreciated. And it's, you know, it doesn't happen. He comes in and he just, and then Fanny invites him to stay and tell some stories, which you can tell kind of right away that Fred is not a fan of this idea. <laughs> Cause he's like, great. I'm going to end up having someone fawning over her. Um, and she's already fawning over him and she never fawned over me. So you can already tell there's a little bit of jealousy there, even with Carlo. So what are your thoughts on Carlo, Carla? Carlo was great. Like he, he's really, he was really needed in that, in that moment because, you know, it breaks the tension. It adds another element. He brings a a more comedic um, energy to, to the room. I mean, the movie's already funny, but he really like ramps it up um, because he has like this outsized personality and he's just sitting there engaging with them. And he accidentally starts playing the game by describing something himself where he's like, Oh, you know, like, Oh, you could really get away with murder in these cabins. And, you know, and he's like demonstrating and everything and and really telling the story. And he's telling it really well, which Fanny is just absolutely besotted with that. And that's just another stab in, in Fred's ego that this, so this pizza delivery guy is also telling stories and she's fascinated by by him. Meanwhile, I, who have written three sentences about a werewolf, <laughs> don't get the same kind of respect. You know, like, oh, the wolf has to get revenge. We have to see. Right. 
and <laughs> even when he tries to kind of you know put Carlo down because he he's young, and you know like what do you know about anything? You know like where did you go to school? He's like Oxford. I love that. That was like yeah. the best. <laughs> I didn't see that coming, did you, Freddie? Um, but yeah, like, it, and of course, baby scabies. It's just. It's but just it's his his little hands when he does the hand motions. It's great. It's so great. But it really is like like dropping this kid into the middle of the situation. He he doesn't know anything about what's been going on. He doesn't know about mm-hmm. the um the tensions between Fanny and Fred. He just knows that they ordered pizza and they seem to be having a good time telling stories and he wants in on that. And then at this point, Fred is, uh, because it's his turn to tell a story, but he, he's like, oh, I don't want to, you know, because he, he doesn't want Carlo to, to be like, oh, mm, mm-hmm. that was, that was interesting. Um, so he, he punts it back to Fanny by saying, you know what? He's such a big fan of yours. Why don't you do your story? And then, of course, Carlo gets really into it, and Fanny's like, "Okay, fine." But she's like, like we said before, she's doing it morally, more morally, mostly because <laughs> Carlo is an actual like cool person who, even though she's his favorite author, is treating her like a human being. And so they go off and they tell a story, and I thought that it was very interesting. Now, okay, granted, Fred ha- has just had his first taste of cocaine, so he's super duper high. He's been drinking all night. There's all of the stuff. And I don't know, maybe he's lactose intolerant. Who knows? Because he ate a lot of pizza too. Um, so there's a lot of things going on in his body. But as we want to know, is Fred lactose intolerant? Yes. Let's tweet at Josh Rubin. Better be in the director commentary. <laughs> exactly. Now, what nobody knows here. This was just my headcanon is that Fred was lactose intolerant and the cocaine was not working well with the dairy. So it just amplified his response. But no. So they're, they're telling the, the Venus story. And so, the, you know, the, we're finally getting to Fanny's book. They're telling all of these things and like being very descriptive and just jumping around everywhere. And Fred doesn't get it. He he says at the end, he's like, I don't get it. You know, like what what makes this so great? And it's like, well, one, you're super duper high. And two, even if you weren't, would you admit that you liked it? Because exactly. mm-hmm. like like you said before, he was hanging on to that one negative comment mm-hmm. about the, the book. And kind of, you know, saying like, well, she doesn't deserve all this praise because she got one bad review. Like, oh, buddy. So whether or not he he got it genuinely or uh, or didn't get it genuinely because he was high or maybe just it wasn't his, his deal, which is fine too. Um, but it really just reads more as he doesn't want to give her the satisfaction and he doesn't like the fact that it's a good story and mm-hmm. he reduces it down to being like so the mom becomes a zombie vampire and like that that's all like that he got out of all of that so that was interesting and and again that's facilitated by carlo being there um without him we wouldn't have gotten fanny 
telling the Venus story at all, we also may not have gotten the the fabulous song number. Um, and I really love the way that that played out because it, it's just a singer possessed by the devil, and then you know, like the deal goes on in a way she did, that she didn't expect. And she's singing this song, and it's such a sweet tune, but it's about like killing everybody, kill the children, kill, yeah, killing everybody. <laughs> yep. yep. And having that song stuck in your head, I want to say, <laughs> and then walking around and singing it is not a very. Ha- <laughs> Yeah, so basically only get a stuck in your head if you're going to be home by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> not interacting with humans. Because otherwise it gets really creepy really fast if they don't know what you're talking about. People are like, what the heck is wrong with this person? <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. Um, but yeah, so we don't really get to know a lot about Carlo. What little we do get to know is really just fun. Like, he, he seems to be like a just, you know an easygoing fun dude who has talent himself because you can kind of pick up on that from the way that, that he dives into telling a story just Mm -hmm. unprompted lets the story flow and it has detail and you're interested in the story. You want to kind of know more at the end. Um, And that also chafes Fred because how dare this guy have talent. And Aaron, your thoughts on Carlo? Yeah, I love Carlo. I think he's my favorite. I love how confident he is. And he just walks in and is like, hey, guys. <laughs> and he's up for anything. Like, how many how many people's houses has he delivered a pizza to? And he just, like, hangs out all night with them. <laughs> this could be, like, a really great, like, sitcom. Like, every episode, Carlo delivers a pizza to someone. And then he's on some insane adventure with some people oh my i'm sorry but i love that idea i think you should probably like you know trademark it and sell it to somebody because can you imagine you could do like a different genre every week right i am so into this carla the pizza guy the adventures (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i yeah i i think he's great i i love how instantly him and fanny just like connect and they're just like instant best friends and fred just doesn't understand how how this is possible and i think that kind of says a lot about how fred probably can't connect with with people in general because he's trying so hard to be something that he's not and carlo is just himself and this is me and he goes with it and he's up for anything (laughs) hanging out with strangers in a cabin doing coke with strangers in a cabin like I didn't know who Chris Red was, which is probably like an insane thing, but I think he's a great, I've like watched him. I don't watch SNL, but watch more stuff with him now that I know who he is. And I think he's just a really wonderful person and actor, I guess. But I, I can't imagine anybody else doing this role besides him. I think he's mm-hmm. perfect for it, but yeah the movie just wouldn't be the same without a carlo yeah and it's nice to have that balance where you don't have like it's not like horrible man good woman you have this kind of balance in between there so it's nice to have him yeah so some yeah like he brings like levity to it of like fred and fanny are funny 
together, but in like kind of an uncomfortable way sometimes. <laughs> and Carlo is just fun and he's like sweet and lovable and he's really, really into it. And it's, it's cute how much he loves Fanny. And yeah. whenever he's asking for her, her autograph, he's like, don't do I it. I'm going to do it. Part. Don't do it. I'm going to do it. Uh, <laughs> I love that. That was part. adorable. Yeah. Yeah. He's so cute. It was so cute and so real. I mean, yeah. Cause I don't know if anybody else has been in that, that situation where you're like, okay, am I really going to approach my person? No, no, no. I don't want to bother him, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The adventures of Carlo. I'm for that. <laughs> Putting that out there in the universe. So, someone tweet that at Josh Rubin. <laughs> I know. Number we want sequel focused on Carlo. Right. Yeah. Carlo the pizza guy. We want to know if Fred is lactose intolerant. <laughs> We've got many important questions. <laughs> questions yes. These are the questions I missed out on asking during my interview. I apologize. <laughs> the things people want to know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I love Carlo and I think he is a much needed character, especially, and he comes in at the exact right moment. If he had come in earlier, it wouldn't have worked as well. And later wouldn't have worked as well. And he's just such a genuinely like warm and inviting person. And he's everything that Fred isn't. (laughs) And so it's so nice to see. And you can see, this is when Fred really becomes pissed more than anything, I think, is when Carlo arrives. Because up until this point, it's been just him and Fanny kind of having this battle of stories. And then here comes this outsider who is going to judge these, really, in in a lot of respects, and then join in on fun. And she automatically is this huge fan. I mean, she, he, sorry. He's automatically this huge fan of Fanny. Fan of Fanny. Don't say that so many times. <laughs> Try to say that 10 fan times. Fanny, 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 But so, you know, he's already got that. He's, it's almost like he's got competition, not only for Fanny's attention, but for his own attention. And then right away, Carlo calls him on the fact that he's emasculated. Although I love it that he says, you're emancipated. <laughs> his Oxford education. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I'm not emancipated. <laughs> emasculated. <laughs> it just makes it so much more uncomfortable because it goes on forever. I think that was a good thing. <laughs> Everybody knows exactly where he's going with it. <laughs> so yeah. it's just like, they're, just, they're like, <laughs> and you know, Fred's like, please don't actually realize the words. <laughs> yeah, but he's just, he's great levity. Uh, you miss him when he leaves. I mean, it makes sense that he leaves, but you miss him when he goes and you want him to be there longer, you know? And once again, just the little baby hands. I just will never get him in the little baby hands. It's just so great and perfect just the way he does that. And once again, nobody else could have played that other than Chris Red. And I didn't put this on the outline, but now that we're talking about this, we're going to in a minute get to the performances because I think it's kind of criminal that we haven't really talked about the performances yet. Uh, so we'll get to them after we talk about Bettina. But yeah, he's he's and and he's so good. He's just so good at just he just melts, melts in. He just fits in perfectly. And I think that also pisses Fred off because 
He doesn't have any uncomfortable qualms about it. He's not, you know, he has nothing to prove. He doesn't care. He doesn't care that Fanny might use his idea. He doesn't give a crap about that. He's honored. He's more than anything, he's honored that she would even consider that because to him, he's like, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm just an Oxford pizza guy, you know, with my pizza watch. I love that he wears a pizza watch. <laughs> because you think you get, to, get sick of pizza, but nope. But her pizza is so good. <laughs> it does make you want to eat pizza. I will say <laughs> that pizza did look pretty good. I know. I was like, Oh, Here's my pizza. <laughs> uh, but what I like also about Carlo when he come Carlo when he comes in and they're doing the and they are sort of doing Venus and you're watching Fred watch that and Fred of course is watching it in his cocaine we've determined lactose intolerant <laughs> drunk fuel <laughs> reaction to this and he's watching this and you know, you can only imagine that it actually makes a little bit more sense when you're not viewing it through his eyes, but I'm glad we viewed it through his eyes. And you watch that he's just kind of like, he's like, nope, I'm not going to get into this. I'm not going to like this. I'm not going to like this. I can't believe how much this guy likes this. How can he like this? Why does he want to hang out with her? Why does he want to do these make-believe stories with her when I'm right here? And doesn't he want to get to know me? And you can see that just building and building and building and building. And it's just so interesting to watch. And I like that you had Carlo there to have another person that kind of just pushes Fred's buttons because you kind of have to have that, I think. And I love Carlo in the Big Talent Show Live number. I <laughs> I think that whole thing's really good anyway. I think it's choreographed really well. It's scripted really well. And just watching his face when she's, <laughs> when she's singing, she's like, kill the children and all that kill everybody basically and just the look on his face of like what <laughs> <laughs> realization yeah he does that so well and of course like we said when he's like okay nope don't ask it no i'm not gonna do it yes i'm gonna do it yes i'm gonna ask for the autograph it's like watching a little kid going oh i'm finally meeting one of my heroes and what's nice is it's a hero who writes like books. And I don't think you see that very often where it's like people are like looking up to a writer of books and not like some Hollywood star kind of thing. So that was kind of cute. And once again, I love that he didn't say, you know, like I didn't go to college or something like that, where he actually got a really good education. Because <laughs> I do think that's another slap in Fred's face. And it's also a slap in stereotypes it's a slap in what you might expect especially when you're looking at this guy who's delivering pizzas you might expect oh, okay he has no he doesn't know what he's talking about he has no education so we're not going to take his opinion seriously so i like that too a lot okay well let's get into patina and i wanted to bring up patina because she's very important to this story i think especially i mean the end of course um and of course she is in the beginning and she's the uber mountain driver and uh, that whole conversation, uh, Josh Rubin has said that that was actually inspired by something that actually happened to him when he was in a cab. Someone was hard pitching him some kind of story that they wrote. So that was kind of inspired by that. Um, and of course, we'll get into the end in a little bit. But in the end, she ends up being really the most successful person in this movie because she finds the notebook and steals it and publishes the novel scare me so what are your thoughts on patina carla 
like I said, I I did not enjoy her because you know she's overly solicitous, but also in a very grating way where she just she she wants you to like her so desperately. She wants to have a conversation, and the guy just wants to rest, and she's kind of like trying to insinuate herself into into like basically everything. Um, it, it was like uh, at the end where when she drops him off. And she says, so is it Fred or Mr. Banks? And then I said, he didn't hear, is it Fred or Mr. Banks? <laughs> like, okay, clearly he doesn't want to talk to you anymore. Also, he didn't tip you. What do you care what he wants to be called? So she, she's just very annoying. She's very like lost in her own world and just to a, a, an annoying degree. I just, I, I was really put off by it. You just don't like her. <laughs> no, I don't. Because like I, I personally don't like it when I'm just trying to go about my day and people are trying to have all of these conversations. And even if you say, like, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm just not feeling very chatty, you just keep going. Yeah. Like have some awareness, woman. But yeah, she's like pitching this guy who isn't even really a writer, who's like Maybe an actor, perhaps in his dreams. <laughs> <laughs> this the story that she wants to tell, and it, that's just—I'm sorry, but like that's just kind of rude. If you know, if, if you're already not reading the room and can't tell that this guy desperately just wants to take a nap in your mountain Uber while he gets d- dropped off at, at his <laughs> low rent, low cost cabin at the foot of the mountain path, um. Then I, I just, I don't know what to tell you. Like, just don't do that in general. Like, if somebody's receptive to to just, you know, spitballing around ideas, then that's one thing. But just don't, because it, it, it's it's not okay. Uh, I'll save my the rest of my opinions for when we talk about the ending, though. <laughs> okay, Aaron. Oh, God, Bettina. I have encountered so many Bettinas. Um I used to travel a lot for work and like the number one thing you do is get a big old set of headphones and put them on the second you sit down so that no one talks to you. Because once you say one word to that weirdo sitting next to you, they will not stop for your whole two hour (laughs) flight. So it's like, I totally get that whole thing. And the fact that he was like asleep and she like woke him up (laughs) to tell him all this random information. Um, and she keeps saying James Cameron. <laughs> yeah, James Cameron. <laughs> oh, <laughs> James Cameron. <laughs> Why? Um, uh, like she's uncomfortable, and the whole scene is just uncomfortable and weird. And uh, like, I like the scene, <laughs> but <laughs> she's just. Yeah, read the room, like understand that this guy who doesn't want anything to do with you, just drive. And she seems like one of those people that like she's she's in her mind that conversation that was going awesome. She mm-hmm. was nailing it. Like she went back and told all of her friends like, "Dude, I met this writer and we are yep. like best friends." <laughs> She's, yeah, that's exactly she what happened. Yeah, she's going to go <laughs> she's going to go friend him on Facebook as soon as she gets home. <laughs> She's going to tell her parents, Monty. Monty, you wouldn't believe what happened to me today. Oh, yeah, no, Bettina's uh, kind of a weirdo, but I like her. I like that scene. I think it was great. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll talk about the ending 
um i i got what the, her whole pitch of the movie she's writing for james cameron it's just cameron. the most ridiculous thing um and she and, just keeps talking about it the whole time. right and he's just like oh my god stop um and yeah the 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 fact that he goes and then googles that because he has nothing else to do just um is pretty great but i like her actually she's weird but i like her <laughs> yeah and i there are people that are like that where it is just you cannot get them to stop talking to you and stop telling you their life story even when you've clearly expressed it's so clear that he does not want to talk to her i mean it's beyond clear not even just that he's trying to sleep just the way he reacts to her the way he inter barely interacts with her the way he barely acknowledges she's there except for you can see the look of annoyance on his face so you know he doesn't want to talk to her but she is in her own little world and like you said, in her mind, they just became best friends. <laughs> in her mind, this is her new best friend. And it's what's interesting is if you look at that and you compare it to Fred and Fanny <laughs> in this weird way, it's kind of like Fred is almost like Bettina to Fanny <laughs> in this weird kind of way. Yes, exactly. That's true. You know, for some reason, I had to put that together, but that makes perfect sense. It's like it's a really good parallel. Yeah, yeah. I just put that together when we were just talking about that because I hadn't thought about that at all. But it's true because, you know, she's just so enamored with him, and she has no idea that really he isn't yeah. a successful writer at all. <laughs> I I do love how she delivers the line though when she's like, "Well, this place looks haunted." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was so i think she's fun i think she's a fun little addition i you know we'll talk about the ending because i have some thoughts on that some little opinions on that um but before we get into that and to seeing if there's anything else we want to say about what it's saying about the fragile white straight male ego I want to talk about the performances because i feel kind of weird that we haven't talked about the performances much here so I want to just ask your overall opinion on everybody. And we'll just say really quickly, Josh Rubin, of course, plays Fred. Then Aya Cash plays Fanny. And then um, you've got Chris Red, of course, plays Carlo. And then you've got Rebecca Drysdale as Bettina. So I just want to know your overall feelings on the performances, Carla. First of all, Aya Cash, I love her so much. Most of the characters she plays, I can't stand. But it's in a good way. It's, it's uh, because like they're they're played to be unlikable. When uh, when we're talking about her character Gretchen on You're the Worst, both Gretchen and the guy whose name I can't remember right now, they're supposed to be awful, and you're not supposed to really like them. But she does it so well, and you can't help kind of wanting to like Gretchen because she's okay but we're, okay whatever i'm sorry i just really love aya cash <laughs> and i get very like into That's aya cash okay. and her I'm so, i understand like, I'm like, okay, but this isn't the aya cash episode that's probably coming up next year right <laughs> you don't you um, don't you don't like stormfront <laughs> <laughs> i hated stormfront so much but it's because she's so good and she's great in this she's like the perfect 
the perfect person to play uh to play fanny because she has that mastery of playing somebody who can be seen as unlikable but then you also have with this particular character like a really good reason why she's being perceived this way by by fred um because he just he he's just so intimidated by her that anything she does to him comes across as like really awful um but she just has like Ayakash just has this like strength that she brings to every role this just amazing comedic timing where she pulls up some lines that are just so good when she does them I, I just I love her so much um and she really throws herself into all of these um these stories and part of the reason that I like the the grandpa story so much is that the way that she tells it is so engaging like you're really attuned to what she's saying and all of the different things that she does with it the 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 way that she moves and as she's telling the story and she's you know fleshing out this grandpa character she she becomes you know she she changes the way that her eyes move and she hunches in on herself and it's all like little tiny changes one after the other after the other and it's just she's incredibly talented josh rubin i love him so much i thought he he was just really great and um i liked i i just i I love that the the impressions that he does like the little when he's doing jack nicholson towards the beginning and he's uh he's sitting for a moment at the kitchen table and you hear a door kind of thud Mm -hmm. and then you hear a voice saying you know like like help me or something he's like help me and it's like the door there's somebody behind the door but no then it turns back the camera turns back to him and it's it's him just kind of like saying this and it's so good and all of the ways in which fred interacts with with fanny there's that that great partnership between the two actors where they're just playing off each other so well and you can't really have those that kind of back and forth and that kind of tension building up without i think like really just good chemistry and good teamwork and i think they work really great together um chris red so good so good he was absolutely necessary and i i thought that that he because of the of his his comedic timing and the way that he approached this role it made it because this character could have just thrown everything off balance and uh made it so that we couldn't really appreciate his purpose in the in the in the story but the way that he plays it he's just like this goofy enthusiastic kid who's just you know happy to be playing story time and uh i don't know i i just i really love him and bettina what's what's the actress's name rebecca drysdale Drysdale. rebecca drysdale Mm -hmm. she she did she pulled this performance off like just so perfectly because she she is somebody that you would encounter just anywhere you know like 
we've all met somebody like like this where we're just trying to live our lives and they just won't shut the hell up <laughs> um i i really like the the absolute you know kind of like boneheadedness about her and refusing to understand that somebody may not be interested in having a chat with you right now um the way that, that she walks around in the house towards the end and just you know grabbing the random slice of pizza and just you know like just you know randomly saying i'm i'm eating your pizza or just whatever it was it was very good i think like all four of them were just fantastic but like i said i'm really all about <laughs> aya cash <laughs> yeah and aaron well yeah everything carla said it's just amazing it's perfectly cast i think the expressions that josh does whenever he's doing um all these different voices and stuff it's just perfect um i can't even imagine how hard it was to direct it and also to be acting in it that's got to be like really tough um and he did it so perfectly um and yeah aya cash is great in everything i mean all these guys are great in everything Bettina, um, I think is awesome. I would love to see her in more stuff. I know she's like also a writer as well. Um, but I would like to see her like on the screen more. Rebecca Drysdale. It's weird that um whenever I saw her, I recognized her from Orange is the New Black. And then I was like, she was only in one episode of that, but she was so good in that one episode. It like stood out in my mind um that I recognized her. So I think she's really great too. Um, but yeah, I mean uh, again just like with Carla, like I can't picture anybody else being in these roles and the chemistry that the whole cast has together is just so great. It's just so perfect. Yeah. I mean, ditto. I agree. I mean, I think they're all great together. They all work great together. They all do uh, physical comedy too. They all do mm-hmm. that really well. Every single one of them. Uh Yeah. Josh can do just the most amazing impressions. He's really good at that. Just go look at his YouTube channel. He does so many of those and he's just top notch at that. And so I like it. So I think it's awesome that that was that he was able to use that in this story. Um, And there's a lot of that in here, not just from him, but from Aya Cash and Chris Red and having to use uh, their bodies and their voices. And really it's an actor showcase. I mean, really this movie is, uh, and that's, what's so great about it, I think. And, you know, I, Akash, she's, <laughs> she's so good at playing characters that, I and it's not necessarily that they're, that, well, they are unlikable. A lot of them are unlikable, like you said, Carla, but she's also so good at, I don't know, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the word that I'm trying to think of here to describe it, but she's just, she just embodies these characters that even if they're well-written, like this character is well-written, she even adds more layers and dimensions that weren't there. And she's once again, every single person in this is completely their character. You can, I mean, they're not the actor at all. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in their expressions and the way they hold themselves. And Aya Cash is like that. Like, you would not think this is the same character from The Boys or from You're the Worst or anything like that. Um, because she embodies it with the way she's walking, with the way she holds herself, with the way she talks and communicates to people, 
with the way she treats Fred and the way she treats Carlo and the way she treats herself and all that kind of stuff. Um, and she's just, she's just so good. And she's so there for all the other actors as well. Like she plays so well with everybody and reacts so well and gives a lot when she's not saying anything. She does great reaction shots. Her face is so expressive and she's so fun to watch. And I think everybody's like that in this movie, really. Um, and there are great little moments. Like I think even when when Fred and he goes and opens the door to the basement of the cabin and he's like, nope, and just shuts the door. It's so perfect because you're not going to get that moment of like, why is he being an idiot and going down there? And I just think it's so great and wonderful to to watch that because those are that's those are little moments that are peppered throughout the movie. You know, like when he's doing the um, Jack Nicholson impression from The Shining and all these. I mean, there's a lot of homages to a lot of horror films in this movie. If you're a horror fan, you'll be able to pick out a bunch of different ones that kind of come along. So it's kind of it's you're watching people that really love what they're doing. They are not doing this um, for a paycheck necessarily. They're not doing this for fame. They're doing this because they love acting and they love performing. And you can tell they had a lot of fun doing this. And I just think it's a great actor showcase. And I will say it again. And I know Josh Rubin has said that he is planning on ad adapting this as a play because this would be a great play. I mean, it is tailor-made for the stage. And I just, and I really hope that there's a way to get everybody the same people in the cast, but we'll see how that works. But it's tailor-made for the stage because this is an actor's showcase. And I can only imagine on the stage what this would be like because there'd probably be a lot more body movements and a lot more impressions even. And I mean, because really they're not relying on special effects. They're relying on the actors to bring these stories to life. And that's a lot. That's a big job to do because in horror, you know, a lot of times you are relying sometimes on special effects. You're relying on music and the sound is very important in this. I mean, the sound design is incredible, um, but you're relying so much on that in horror. And when you're taking some of that away and when you're making it more simple and you're just relying on the characters telling the stories through their body and through their own voice and through their own movements, that's that's pretty impressive. That's really impressive, really, because you can see these stories, you can tell these stories and you can feel these stories. And the fact that I know I'm not the only one that wants to see this on stage. So the fact that you want to see it on stage says something about what this plays into. So, yeah, because I like that. I mean, I know a lot of this is, was for money that they made it such a simple one location, but still it makes it an even better story, I think, especially when you're trying to have these two characters battling out together. So, yeah, everybody is great. I don't think there's a false note from anybody <laughs> in this. Okay, so are, is there, we've already talked about it a little bit, the fragile white male ego and what this movie is saying about that but is there anything else you want to add to that carla i i think that there's the issue of the fragile white male ego is not going away anytime soon um in large part because there are so many fragile white men out there who don't recognize this as an issue when it's pointed out to them they're like oh this is reverse racism oh this is sexism the reverse sexism it's like no 
stop being being mediocre and just accept that these are things that are actually out there in the world. And we see this at play constantly. We just saw it recently <laughs> with the supernatural, you know, kerfuffle where uh, when Jared Padalecki, who is a constant display of white male fragility, went on Twitter to complain that Jensen Ackles had left him out of a project related to Supernatural. And there were not, there were no apologies. It was just like, oh, we had a talk and it was great. And, you know, like, you know, hashtag brothers or whatever. <laughs> but, and, and that's part of it. Like this, this lack of apology, this, this uh, lack of insight into why that may have not been the best way to approach it, especially when you have, when you're known to have some fans who will take your word and run with it and they can do and say some pretty damaging things. So, you know, and, and I know that lots of people behave crappily. Lots of people of any gender and any race can do this kind of stuff. The reason that the white male is the one that pointed out the most is because they have the most power. They have the most uh, possibility of really ruining somebody's life on a whim. Just like, I'm having a bad day and I'm pointing to you as the person who made it bad. And because I'm a white man, I will have more credibility than you have, particularly if you're not also a white man or straight, able-bodied white man. So this isn't a discussion that's that's ready for us to put it to bed because just that lack of, of awareness, that lack of of empathy towards other people that would make somebody want to sit down and examine their privilege and how they benefit from a system that is already rigged by them to help them. It's it's just, you know, like it's not it's not sad. It's not whatever it's disgusting because it's it's there and it it's not as much as it's pointed out nothing can be done about it until the the people who are benefiting from it voluntarily do something about it and why would they they get everything by having it and as far as it, as it pertains to the movie specifically fred is benefiting from a lot of you know benefit of the doubt in his world you know like yeah he may be getting a restraining order put on him but he's still able to go and travel travel and you know rent a cabin and yeah he's not having the best time in his life and yes he is you know going broke trying to pursue this dream but he still has more of a chance to survive it and to uh, get through it soundly because of those privileges. If this were a black man going through all of this, the restraining order alone, you know, that, that would have done him in or just the, just so many things would have been more of a hindrance already for him. I don't know. Just, I, I feel like, Anytime people bring people bring up, you know, well, there are also poor white people in the world. Like, yes, there are, but they're still white. 
they can probably still walk onto into an interview and be taken seriously much more quickly than Carlo would be with his Oxford education. Very well said. And Aaron, did you have anything you wanted to add? Um, not, not as elegantly as Carla said it. <laughs> I think I agree. It's like, well, okay, this is the lowest point in Fred's life, but it's really not that bad. Like, you know, he thinks it is just the worst, but yeah, you flew across the country from LA to New York to stay in a cabin for a weekend. Like who does that entitled white guys? Like that's going to make him a better writer. He probably saw that someone else did that and he thought well, I can do that. I can do that better. I'll fly to New York and do it. <laughs> but I think I agree with everything Carla said. I think it's important that, movies are being made like this the more movies should be made like this the fact that this was done by a, a white male and he's kind of calling out the system and he's aware he is self-aware of his privilege um, and I think that the more that gets in front of people's faces in an entertaining kind of way that they might start recognizing you know their own privilege that they've got like well i could you know i have a lot of things in common with fred am i doing something wrong i don't know if those dudes aren't gonna ever get it really probably but <laughs> the subtlety is too much for them <laughs> but i think it's important that they're the movies like this are made and that it's it's getting people to talk about it i think that's a, a big step yeah no i i agree you know i i i think you know, I think it's funny that we had, we already planned on doing this. And then when we had the thing just recently happen with Jared Padalecki, who this isn't the first time he has done something like this. That's the thing is this is what he does. Um, he weaponizes his fan base. He weaponizes the internet. He plays on the woe is me card. And really what it is, is he doesn't have the attention on him. And he doesn't like that. He doesn't like that somebody else is getting attention. So he's going to do something to get the attention back on him. And it worked. I mean, it it worked profoundly, um, not just from the fan base, fr but from other people like the creator of Supernatural, the Today. And so it worked. And then he does this and he does these exploding of this anger. And then the very next day he's like or like hours later or very next day whatever it was then he tweeted out saying don't go after people don't threaten people when he knows that that's what's going to happen and that's also and part then, of pattern yeah exactly that's what i mean is he knows what that's what's going to happen because it's happened before and he knows this and yes i totally understand getting upset if it really is the way it happened if you were shut out of something that you were involved in for that long, I understand that, but it's the way it's handled where it's handled in this way. Like I am this successful person. Don't you know who I am? I should have had more involvement in this and I'm not getting what I want. And I don't have the attention on me too. And somebody else is getting attention and I don't like that. And so I am going to throw a fit 
And because I am a white privileged male who has all these people that already love me, and they also use the fact that I struggle with my mental health as an excuse for me, so I'm going to get all these people backing me up. And it's just the perfect example of white male privilege right there. I mean, especially white rich male privilege on top of that. And it's just so, you know, there were a lot of funny aspects to it. There were a lot of funny memes. There were that kind of stuff. But it actually really pissed me off. I was very angry because to me, it's like, you know, number one, I don't like the fact that people excuse his behavior because of the fact that he has mental health issues that has nothing to do with this. It, nothing at all. That's not, that's not the reason in my opinion that this happens. This is really just a case of a man who didn't get what he wanted and he used a tool that he's used before and he knows it'll get him attention. And that's why it pissed me off is I'm just sick of people just being like, okay, this is okay. And you know, if a woman had done this, um, especially, I mean, imagine if a black woman had done that. Oh, forget it. And then, yeah. it, I mean, that would have been like, that would have just, <laughs> that would have just been it over and done yeah. with. Well, um, I mean, look at the yeah. fact that, that, you know, black women on Twitter are the most attacked demographic on Twitter. Like they get the most threats, the, the most horrible responses to just anything that they tweet. Meanwhile, Jared Padalecki is actively engaging his his fan base to to help him express his displeasure, to put it in a kinder way than he deserves. Mm -hmm. When he knows what what it is that they do, he has used this platform in the in the past to dox people and therefore his fans have gone and harassed people who don't have the money for security team and who don't have his phone number to quell the situation. Um, and on top of it, you also have just thousands of people tweeting their support to him through all of this, the whole thing beginning to end. You have people being so deferential and kind to him and, and saying, no, you're absolutely absolutely right and even the people who weren't saying that were you know it's not like they were being necessarily mean to him you know like he didn't get a ton of toxic uh, blowback from it and that's a privilege that a black woman could never could never get under the same situation or even something much milder yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, also, you know, with everything that's been happening with Britney Spears, too. I mean, it's not the same exact thing, but I know there was a tweet that came out saying, you know, when Shia LaBeouf went through this whole breakdown in public and he ended up being able to have this big resurgence of this revival of his career and now, hopefully that won't happen again, but I don't have faith that that won't happen again after all the other, um, you know, 
abuse allegations, horrible, disgusting allegations against him have come out. I'm hoping that means his career is dead, but I mean, come on, let's look at it realistically. Unfortunately, he'll probably do an apology tour. I mean, I think he went to rehab already or something. I don't know. And so he'll come out of there and he'll be fine. And everybody will embrace him. That's sadly what I think will probably happen in that instant. But you see the way that he was embraced with that. And then you watch the way Britney Spears was treated and the way Britney Spears was talked about. And it's such this different sort of thing where it's like we give men, especially white men, white straight men, especially so many more chances than we give anybody else. You know, they can fail upwards so much better than other people can. And so can white women, too. But with white men, it's even more prevalent. I mean, white men just can do that. And that's like with you see, when you see this character of Fred who, like you said, Aaron, he's just, he's flying to a cabin. How, what an awful, awful life you're leading. I mean, it's like, come on, of all the problems you could have. And he acts like this is the end of the world, um, which we, we totally skipped over talking about the ending. I just realized. <laughs> you really see that in the end so we're going to talk about that now whoops sorry everybody (laughs) i just realized that i'm like oh yeah we didn't talk about that because the ending really shows that about how his poor ego got so hurt yeah (laughs) that he's gonna try and kill fanny i mean really that's where he is is he's gonna try and do that which he can't even do that because because he's that (laughs) mediocre because he's that mediocre he can't even kill her um so let's talk about that ending where fred does sorry does find the notebook he finds out that she's been writing about him he and then he tries and to kill her (laughs) and fails and ends up dying (laughs) we can only assume we don't actually see him dead but i mean come on he died uh and and then of course bettina finds the notebook finds it she becomes a successful writer (laughs) just the sort of tag after the beginning of the end credits so what are your thoughts on the ending carla well his reaction is the the same reaction as a guy who's been rejected you know a guy who feels entitled to a woman's time and attention and her preference towards him and come to find out she's not really that into him and that's when he starts calling her all kinds of names now not putting that's not exactly like what happens here but it kind of i feel like you know trying to murder somebody is kind of a good substitute for calling a woman names but yeah i mean to this isn't very different from like you know if you're out at a bar um which i mean don't do because we're still in a pandemic maybe (laughs) but you know theoretically if you were out at at a bar and some rando approached you and was like hey girl you're really cute can i have your number and you're like um thanks no not interested well screw you then you're you're ugly anyway you know like you know stop drinking that drink it has a lot of calories okay they, they don't really say that it's more like they just make fun of your of your body anyway but that that's the same kind of thing that that uh entitlement and that thinking that well i showed you some attention why aren't you falling in love with me why aren't you trying to take off my pants i don't understand and to him all of this has been kind of like foreplay of sorts you know like leading up to 
maybe something bigger, whether that's uh, him having a connection in the literary world or whether that's like, you know, she, you know, her becoming like a mentor or something, who knows where his mind was going, but he expected so much more out of this than he was at, at all ever entitled to. And so when he finds the notebook and sees that all of her observations about him have been just really, I don't want to say unkind because it's not about kindness, but just have been really negative. She's She really sees him for who he is. He's a mediocre guy who is just so desperate for relevance that he throws himself into writing in a way that has nothing to do with writing and everything to do with thinking that you can do this better than anybody who has actually studied the craft of writing. And there's really no excuse because it doesn't matter that he's been super high. It doesn't matter that he's, that he's been drinking all night. Generally people still don't grab a poker and try to stab somebody. That's just, you know, maybe like, get out of here. I have to go sit here and cry in the remaining pizza slices. That's kind of more what you expect of somebody, you know, less, less murder. But he, he proposes that, okay, we're going to play a game and I'm going to chase you. And if you don't die, then you get to have your notebook back. And it's like, mm, don't really <laughs> like the stakes here. Um, but they, they go through it. She goes and she hides. And of course he knows where she is because honestly, who wouldn't have looked under the bed? That's like, you know, number one easiest thing. Clearly she's under the bed. You can't see her anywhere else under the bed. She pops out from under the bed. He's there and he's, all like stabby murdery which why didn't he block the door by the way like why was he in the in the back corner that's he's a mediocre murderer like me you know murder 101 you block the exits but he doesn't so they take tumble down the stairs he ends up impaling himself with the poker and then has the nerve to ask her to do him a mercy and just put him out of his misery. And so she grabs the log and she's holding it over her head. And they're like, you know, just having this little exchange. <laughs> Drops the log, walks out, like just kind of saunters out, like no big deal. Um, like her her body language as she's walking out isn't like, oh, I have to run away in case he manages to unstab himself and come after me like in a horror movie. Like he's, you know, like he's Michael Myers <laughs> or something. And that that's all that there is to that. But then in comes Bettina and her like going and stealing pizza and she's walking around, doesn't see the guy because she doesn't bother to look at the stairs where he's still there impaled on that poker. Which I'm like, yeah, I know that we don't actually see him dead, but I feel like he's pretty dead. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And then you, you go to the credits and you think, oh, okay, movie over. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Cut back to her uh, signing a book called Scare Me that because she had found um, Fanny's journal and took the story and wrote a book. Now, on the one hand, I was like really ticked off because I was just so screwed up to just take somebody's stuff and and um, and just write it into a story. You know, you don't, you're not. I I don't know. I, I was really put off by that. However, it does show that she was probably a good writer because you can take material and write a book. It doesn't mean that it's going to be a good book. 
but apparently she was good enough that it was a successful a very successful book and i'm like i kind of give it get it give it up to her like way to turn some randomly found notebook into gold the ethics of that i'm not so happy with but like i said it's like clearly she had some talent in her somewhere um and i just thought that was like a really funny way to end it um especially becomes because it comes after part of the credits have rolled and if you didn't watch past those first couple of credits you would have missed all of that and you would have left off feeling like okay well you know he got he got his just desserts um there's a possibility that this woman's gonna write this based off of fanny's notes but once you see that and like i said you know even with it being very off-putting to me at the same time i was kind of like well maybe maybe fanny went back to get her notebook saw bettina with it they had to talk about it and Bettina was like, I could really like, you know, I could really make this into a great book. And then James Cameron will want to adapt <laughs> it Cameron. into a screenplay. And Fanny would have been like, yeah, okay. I can do better than this anyway. You know? Like, that's interesting. Like, that's yeah, I like, would have never thought that. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like where my head went. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like I, maybe Fanny was cool with it. And that's fine. Because also, you know, he tried to kind of stab her over it. Maybe she's not really feeling it. <laughs> But it, yeah. it was a very interesting ending, and he does get his comeuppance for all of this. It, it just the fact that that she left him to die miserably instead of putting him out of his pain was kind of a you know just desserts moment. <laughs> yeah, Aaron. Well, yeah, that was like one of my biggest questions: is like, how come Fanny never said anything that Bettina stole her? story like did she see it and was just like i don't have time for this <laughs> <laughs> i i think that's fantastic and i mean yeah bettina finds this notebook with stuff written in it did she think that it was fred's notebook because she had no idea that fanny had even been there mm-hmm. yeah um, she didn't even know who fanny was at least right <laughs> um and i love when she walks in she just like probably showed up to pick up her friend fred to take him back to the her best the airport friend. it was like hey bestie <laughs> can i open your door and it starts eating the pizza and the piece of pizza she picks up has a bite out of it already and that's like one of the grossest parts of the movie it's like don't eat that someone that ate so that hygienic right yeah you can Stop tell it. Us before COVID. it's right? like double dipping and yeah <laughs> oh don't eat secondhand pizza and uh, oh yeah, Bettina really makes that. And I I like at the the beginning of the end is that's not how you say that. Um, <laughs> whenever um, whenever Fred finds the book, and that's you can tell everything changes so quickly, and it gets so serious. And that's the first time that Fanny is actually threatened by him. Actually feels. Mm-hmm any sort of threat from him um, because he's such a mediocre dude. And then she's like, Oh, he's a crazy mediocre dude. <laughs> and I don't know. It's the whole horror thing. Like when she went out the front door, you were, there's two doors in this house. Like you, why did you go upstairs? What's wrong with you? Um, she opened <laughs> the basement door and was like, Nope. <laughs> 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 but, 
Um, and yeah, and then the poor guy can't even like try to kill someone properly. <laughs> no, he's not even good at that. Oh, God, <laughs> try, try harder, dudes. Like if for no other reason, then you might screw it up bad enough and kill yourself. Um, and didn't his mom ever tell him not to like run with scissors? Like you don't run with pointy things, right? Especially downstairs. Like, right? Yeah. No, no. Don't run with pointy stuff. That's like my worst fear is that I'm going to die doing something stupid like that. Like, God. Yeah, I and I do love that, that there's that little little tidbit there um, after the credits started of just that one final little twist to the story. And I want to know if Fanny was okay with this or if she's upset by it or if she even knows about it i think that'd be um, interesting to see what her reaction to the book would be is there like a pending case in in horror writer's court <laughs> horror writer's court she's gonna she's gonna tweet about it and get everyone all worked up <laughs> jared padalecki will tweet for her about it <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what's needed <laughs> Her pal Jared. Her I, pal Jared. If she couldn't put up with with Fred, I sincerely doubt she would have anything to do with it, Jared. Oh, oh God, could you imagine? Could you imagine? <laughs> no, I don't even have time for that. Don't. We have some questions, though. We, we, we have some questions. We want, like, right. want to know. Um, well, we want the Carlo, his adventures. <laughs> <laughs> the pizza delivery Carlos guy. Spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We want to know if Fred is lactose intolerant. <laughs> we want to know, and we want to know Fanny's reaction to the book. <laughs> These are all really important questions that need to be yes. answered. Josh Rubin, can you please answer these pressing questions? <laughs> we know you're busy, however. Yeah, just take a moment and just answer these questions. <laughs> Uh, the ending is so interesting to me. The ending before the little coda, you know, basically right after the credits start, because it's the first time Fred is shown as anything that's kind of threatening. There's a threatening nature to him. And I think that is a situation, in, I mean, in different ways, not like this, that a lot of women can find themselves in where a man just switches like that. It's just all of a sudden he's like, you know, dangerous and scary and like you said Aaron that's the first time you see that Fanny is actually really afraid of him I mean there's actual fear in her eyes she says she's not but you can see that fear there because she doesn't know what he's going to do and when you find yourself in that situation as a woman it's just so shocking because it's like this person may have been annoying or a nuisance or something like that but you probably didn't think of them as dangerous until that point. And then you're like, oh, wait, I'm, and for her, she's like all alone in this cabin in the middle of nowhere. The only other person she had, Carlo, is long gone. So she doesn't have that safety. They don't have any power. She doesn't know when that's going to come back on. She doesn't know how serious this guy is about wanting to hurt her. And then all of a sudden he tells her to run. And then when he screams run, that's when it's kind of like to her, like, oh, crap, this guy is going to try and kill me. And all because I bruised his fragile little ego. And yes, he's also high. He's drunk. He's had reactions to the cheese. So <laughs> 
but what's so good is that he doesn't hurt her. He doesn't actually end up killing her. I think if he had ended up killing her, I think I would have a totally different feeling about this movie. And so it just is so great that you never see him hurt her. He hurts himself, of course. And then, of course, perfectly fitting into this character. I was only joking. <laughs> I wasn't really going to hurt you. Such a white guy thing to say. Yes. Yes. Because I feel like, you know, with, with that analogy at the bar, and he's like, well, you know, you're ugly anyway. I, I didn't actually want to talk to you. And, you know, maybe she pulls out something stabby and he's like, oh, you know, like, I'm just just messing around, man. Like, why are you getting so upset about this? I'm going to go now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I to bother you, ma'am. And yeah. that kind of explains the restraining order. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he definitely did just something little, like that to yeah. his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can see that switch is in him. And yeah, and I mean, it also when you said that with the bar thing, it reminds me of the scene in um, Promising Young Woman when when she is you know pretending to be drunk and she's outside with Sam Richardson's character, and then um, uh, you know what's his name, Bo? Why am I forgetting his last name? You know, he just had the special on Netflix. Thank you, Bo Burnham's character. How am I forgetting that? When I've seen that movie like a hundred billion times. Anyway, and so you know she's basically been found out and he's like you're that crazy lady who my friend took home the other day and then he's like you know you're not even that good looking (laughs) it's that total defense thing of like you know (laughs) it's this thing of that's like the first thing they go for Mm -hmm. yeah it's like oh um what can i what can i attack her with yes you're not good looking okay well, right then the bouncer shows up opinion. and he's like i'm so sorry i was just kidding don't, <laughs> yeah. don't be so sensitive god yes <laughs> he run away like crying the, yes he does he runs away crying oh yeah she <laughs> yeah that whole don't be so sensitive thing because yes. that's that's a thing that men say all the time it also goes into that you know Oh, God, you should just smile. Why don't you just smile? I was only trying to compliment you. I'm only trying to help you. I'm not trying to. Right. It's that same thing where it's like if you call a man on his fragile BS at any point, he's going to get defensive like that. And here's Fred who fell down the stairs and stabbed himself. And he still can't let go of that. It's still like, I was just kidding. I wasn't really going to kill you. But it's it's. I was just kidding. By the way, can you just do me a do me a solid and just yeah, you know. just kill me, <laughs> right? Like, oh sure, let her incriminate herself. Exactly. <laughs> oh, and I have a question. How come she didn't like go home and call the police? And be like, some guy hurt himself. <laughs> right. That's true. It's like, she's like, like my feeling is she him. was like, screw him. Right. He did this to himself. He couldn't even murder. Right. Forget <laughs> it. <laughs> even kill me what kind of man is that (laughs) yeah but i i love this movie i think it's a great movie i really want the play to happen and i really hope that actually happens because i think it would be a really great play to see and hopefully i'd get to see it at some point but i just really want the play to happen so i'm going to put that out in the universe Uh, But we're going to go ahead and wrap up. So I really have enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Aaron and Carla, for joining me on this one, because I wanted to be able to um, celebrate 
Josh just because of his his new movie coming out, Werewolves Within, which go see it um, or rent it if you're not comfortable to go comfortable enough to go back into the theater. It is really good. It's really entertaining. It's really funny. Um, and the cast is really, really good in it, too. So I think you'll really enjoy it. So I want to go around and have everybody close out and tell me where they can be found, including where their podcast can be found, even if you're on hiatus, Carla. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, thank you. My podcast, along with Meg, is Bedwetter Behead. We are taking a two-week hiatus from releasing new content. However, there is a whole vast library of amazing content already available. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, again, we are Bedwetter Behead. At Twitter, we are at bedwetbeheadpod. On Instagram, at, uh, at bed.wet.behead.pod. And on Facebook, just look for Bedwet or Behead Podcast. Awesome. Thank you. And Erin? Um, I am on Instagram and Twitter. I keep forgetting that I have a Twitter, but I do have it. I, I, I can keep tell because for- I've tagged you in a lot of things over the past <laughs> few days. I keep forgetting that it's there and I'm like, oh man, should have tweeted that like three days ago. I'm just going to start. I, I know how Twitter works now. I figured it out. Just any random thing that comes into my head, I'm just going to yes, tweet it. That's all. Exactly. That's what it is. When that's someone does works. something fun without me and my feelings are hurt, I'm just going to tweet about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sit back and enjoy the comments. <laughs> um but uh yeah okay um coward can- you coward so dramatic escalated so quickly yeah. but come see my dramatic twitter um and instagram <laughs> at geek and so my dramatic twitter and instagram <laughs> so dramatic <laughs> Awesome. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. You can watch as my heart gets broken and mended and broken and mended by Carla. That's <laughs> that's what my whole Twitter life is about. And I'm not even sorry. <laughs> that's really almost all I tweet about on my own Twitter is retweeting <laughs> the, the fan that's a fandom thing one. Or responding to Carla because she's watching some show that I love. And I owe her a Eurovision watch. I know. I know. I'm like, I'm horrible. Come and fall in love with it, Erin. I know. I know. I That is on my list. That's going to happen very soon. I promise. Um, be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, if you would like to potentially be part of our upcoming Halloween trivia event, which we had another meeting on that, and I am so excited about this event. It just keeps getting more exciting for me. So I'm hoping other people are getting excited as well. But if you want to be involved, not as a contestant, if you want to be on one of the 10 week, one of the episodes over the 10 week period, please reach out to us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And on our next episode, we are going to be talking about Lynn Manuel Miranda. So we're going to be talking about in the Heights and Hamilton. So it was, we already recorded it. It's a very good discussion with Judy and Susie. And I think there's a lot of really 
good stuff brought up in that. And a really, it's a very important discussion, I think. So stay tuned for that one. And once again, apologies, but no live stream next weekend. We will be back in two weeks with another live stream. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Timmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos. And our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe. And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.